Now, I don't know if any of you were here 10 years ago when I showed that video before. Were, is there any of you? Oh, there is some. Awesome. I didn't think there'd be too many, but it's a classic. And that video is a great lead into our fourth message in our Live and Well message series that's all about hope for mental health. And I've been using some material from the work of Saddleback Church on mental health for this series. And I've got another question for you. How many of you have been through the torture of taking one of your, or taking your kids to one of the two Chuck E. Cheesies in Edmonton or elsewhere? Any of you done that? Oh, there's been a few of you. And, and I say torture because, well, that was my experience, although it's been decades since I've been to one. And there is there, this game here, at least I assume it's still there, I don't know, called Whack-A-Mole. And it might not be politically correct today to whack moles anymore, I don't know. And the, and the game is evil, not because you're whacking moles. I can handle whacking moles, and I think most of you can here too. But in whack-a-mole, these moles pop up out of one of these holes, and you, you, you take a hammer and, and you slam it back down. And while it is momentarily satisfying to whack that mole back down, uh, as soon as you uh, slam one down, what happens? Another one comes up. Then you slam that one down and two come up and you slam that one down and three come up and it goes on and on and on. The thing about that game and why it's so evil is you can't win. No matter how many you slam down, they keep coming back up. And pretty soon you just give up and walk away. Friends, whack-a-mole is a metaphor for your life. Just about the time when you've got one problem whacked down, what happens? Another problem pops up, and you whack that one down, and two more come out, and you whack that one down, and three more come up. I mean, that's life. Whack-a-mole. This is also true of persistent sins, our ongoing struggles, and intense temptations that we come up against. Just the time you think you've got victory over that weakness in your life, it pops back up again. I mean, have you noticed this? It, it just keeps popping back up. You, you can go read self-help books that will teach you how to whack faster. But that's not what God's Word does. God's Word teaches us how to, well, how to end the game with sin. And how to unplug that whack-a-mole so that the power isn't getting into it anymore and those moles don't just keep popping back up. I want to take a little survey here. Time for confession. Have you ever stayed up late when you know you needed sleep? Any of you? Have you ever stayed up late and then slept in church? Man, if I could rig a lightning bolt for every time I see someone not off in the middle of my message. Hey, no worries. I don't do shift work. That's the reason for some of you, and I think that would just wipe me out on Sunday. I'm just glad you're here. But hey, have you ever eaten or drunk extra calories that you knew you shouldn't have? Have you ever made commitments that you couldn't possibly keep? Have you ever felt that you ought to exercise, but you didn't? Have you ever known that you should be kind and unselfish, but instead you were unkind and selfish? Have you ever tried to take control of your life or a circumstance and discovered that you couldn't? Friends, welcome to the human race. Even the Apostle Paul wrestled with these kinds of struggles. The Apostle Paul, quite possibly the greatest Christian next to Jesus, says this, I do not understand what I do. What I do, I... I what, 
I can say this. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I end up doing. I know that nothing good lives in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Yeah, Paul, we identify, right? We're glad to know we're not alone. And if the Apostle Paul struggled, I think we can expect to struggle as well. Let's take a little inventory. You'll see it there on the screen. Uh, take a look at these words and think about, even write down which ones of these keeps popping up in, in your life. Stress, fears, overwork, uh, attractions that I, that I shouldn't have, maybe to another person or something else. Addictions, regrets, diet, yo-yo diet, that's me. Worry, bad habits, anger. Does that keep, like, anger popping up in your life? Dishonesty, I mean, does that keep popping up? Finances, you can't pay your bills. Uh, uh, relationships, painful memories keep popping up. Perfectionism, resentment, uh, uh, compulsive, compulsive thoughts. What is the cause of all these problems? Friends, every problem in your life has the same root cause. The problem is, I'm my own God. I make myself God. Okay, we, we live in a culture that, while it doesn't totally reject the idea of God, we, we kind of live like we don't need God. And, and in the process, we make ourselves our own God. We are the Lord of our lives. We lead ourselves. We're number one in our lives. When I'm the leader and Lord of my life, I, I'm going to make my own choices, and I'm not going to do something that God, if he exists, is going to tell me to do. And because I reject what God says, the, the principles and the laws we read in the Bible, we're going to have all of these problems. When we think that we know better than what God has said to us in the Bible, and, and you know, we call that being free, I'm free from all of that old-fashioned, archaic Bible stuff. The problem is, so often it, it just leads to bondage and unhappiness and uh, some pretty big mental health challenges. You see this rejection of God and the resulting unhappiness everywhere today, and, and it's just multiplying. Friends, follow the Bible, find health, ignore the Bible, and find pain multiplying. This has been a problem since the days of Adam and Eve, right? God said to Adam and Eve, I have this one restriction to put on your life to teach you to trust me. Don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And then Satan comes, and by the way, Satan is very much alive and well at work in this world and in your life. He's subtle, he speaks softly to most of us, but he's there. So Satan says to Eve, if you eat this, then you can become a god. In other words, you can be the boss of you. No one else needs to be your leader and lord anymore. You alone can be in charge of you. By the way, did you know that Satan never tempts you to be like him? If we eat this fruit, we'll become more evil like him? No. No one wants to become like the devil. The temptation has always been that we would become our own God. The truth is, God is God, and we're not. Our God is our creator, loves us, knows best, desires that you and I would, uh, would just live lives that flourish. But friends, we're full of stink and pride. We want to be our own boss. No one will be the boss of me, right? God spoke through the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. He pointed out this I want to be God thing to the king of Tyre. Son of man, 
say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God. But you are a mere mortal and not a God, though you think you are as wise as God. The king of Tyre, you or, or me, we all suffer from little God syndrome. We'll make and live by our own rules. I, I know what will make me happy more than God does. I'm a Christian. I know what God says not to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. God will forgive me, really, and I know what's best for me. Yeah, I know God has these principles and rules about how I should express my sexuality, things like saving sex for marriage and things like that, and I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I know that God calls me to be a giver, to tithe, but I'm going to do what I wanted to, and Every time God tells you what you need to be doing so that your life will flourish and you don't do it, what are you doing? You are making yourself God instead of God. You are saying, I actually know what will make me happy more than God does. So, how's that working for you? For a lot of people, it's not working very well. We are a stubborn, stiff-necked people full of pride. And King Solomon nails it when he says, pride will ruin people. Have you ever realized, think about this, the common denominator in all of your bad relationships, what is it? The common denominator in every one of your bad relationships is you, right? Stop and assess your bad relationships for a minute. Everything else about each one of them is different, but you are the one common denominator. You are your own worst enemy. You cause yourself most of your problems. You do. I do. And what I want to do in the time that remains is show you the way out that Jesus gave to us. It's found in the very well-known Sermon on the Mount, at least well-known if you're church-raised. And we want to take a look at the start of the sermon where Jesus gave eight statements where he said, you will be blessed if you do this. Now, the word blessed may be a little bit like Christianese because it's a word that Christians tend to use, but it's not used much by the average person in our culture. All it really means is to be happy. Happy, but at a deeper level. A level of deep peace and contentment. A level of mental stability, serenity. To be blessed is to be deeply happy. And in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Beatitudes, where Jesus gives us eight statements on how to be deeply happy, he opens with this first statement, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and this is where we want to focus for the rest of this message. So to be poor in spirit, this is the healing choice you need to make for getting rid of your habits and your hurts and your hang-ups that mess up your life. This is the key for dealing with those marshmallows. And it's all about you letting God be God rather than you being God. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? First of all, we're, we're talking about your spirit, in your spirit, in your inner being. We're not talking about being physically poor. We're talking about spiritual poverty. We're talking about the fact that I am sinful. I'm recognizing my sinfulness that is at the core of who I am. And I'm recognizing my helplessness to do anything on my own about my spiritual poverty. I really like how God's Word translation translates the first beatitude. Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. 
This is fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus. I recognize and confess that they've got a, a, a dark side to me, a sinful side to me, that I am spiritually poor. And I do not have the ability myself to turn that around. That I need a power beyond myself to turn myself around. Those of you who have gone through recovery, 12-step programs, or maybe the Christian Celebrate Recovery program, you will recognize this idea that is the first step to recovery, that the first step to healing, that it's to recognize your spiritual poverty, that you are helpless. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means I admit that I need help that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life has become unmanageable. I admit that I have lost self-control to say no to those marshmallows. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. God says that if you will develop this attitude where I admit that I am powerless, that I need help, that I cannot control and manage everything in my life, but I need God's help, when you reach this point, Jesus says, then you will be blessed. This is the first step to being blessed, to be deeply happy. So what you and I need to do then is to put in place a few practices that help us become poor in spirit. And what are those practices? Let me give you three that we see encouraged by the writers of the Bible. So the first thing that I need to do to become poor in spirit is, number one, I must humbly admit that I need help. Friends, you and me both, we have to face the truth about ourselves, and we live in a culture that teaches you and teaches your kids to deny this truth. We deny it to our destruction. The world teaches that you are okay just the way you are, but the truth is, you are not okay. None of us are okay. And you've got to stop living in denial. Jesus said the truth will set you free, and this is truth that will set you free. We don't like this truth, right? But heck, you don't mind pointing out the finger, you know, pointing the finger at someone else and telling your friends where that person's not okay, right? But you hate the truth about you. You can't handle it. So we avoid it and fake it because it's painful and sometimes shameful. We'd just rather live phony lives instead of healthy lives. Why? Because before the truth can set you free, sometimes it has to make you feel a bit miserable when you admit what needs to change in your life. But there's so much good news here. Friends, the good news is your hurts, your bad habits, your hang-ups can be healed. The bad news is it takes humility. Friends, you've just got to humble yourselves and swallow your pride and admit your need. James, the brother of Jesus, says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What is grace? Grace is the power you need to change. Let me just be brutally honest here. It's not going to happen by willpower. Willpower doesn't work. How many diets have you started? How many exercise programs have you started? How many times have you said no to that urge to only go and do it? Willpower does not work. Even the most disciplined person gets tired and, and willpower eventually breaks down. What you need is the grace of God. Grace is the power you need to change. And it's God's Holy Spirit who infuses God's grace into you, giving you the power to change. So the first step, I must admit that I'm broken. 
that I cannot heal myself, that I'm powerless to make the change in me that really needs to happen, that I'm poor in spirit, that I need a power, I need Jesus to do in me what I cannot do for myself. This is where it starts. This is the first step towards healing and wholeness. I must humbly admit that I need help. Okay, number two, second thing. I need to humbly ask for God's help. So I admit, and then I ask. I admit that I need help, then I ask God for that help. I I move from confession, where I admit that I need help, that's confession. I move from confession to petition, where I ask for God's help. Paul was going through a really rough time in his life, and he was real honest with what was going on uh, and what he was going through, and he said, we despaired of life itself. He said, we felt we were doomed to die. He's talking about this darkness that was overcoming him. Um, To despair of life is to start down a very dark path. But Paul doesn't stay on that path. Look at what he does. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. For when we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us, for he can even raise the dead. Friends, if God can raise a dead person, he, he can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead career. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead dream. If, if God can raise a dead person, he can restore the love and romance in your marriage. God can, can do miracles. Will you choose to believe? Anybody can bring good out of good. But God can bring good out of bad. He he specializes in in turning crucifixions into resurrections. So I ask for God's help. Notice that Paul says we couldn't help ourselves. We put everything in the hands of God. Everything. Well, what Paul is talking about is total surrender. We surrender our lives fully and totally to Jesus. Have you done this? Have you ever come to a point in your life where where you say, everything in my life, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stinking, the rotten, the happy, the sad, the ups, the downs, I, I, I put it all in your hands. I put it all, all of it in your hands. So I come to God and I ask. It's the first beatitude. And I love it in the message paraphrase. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. I mean, getting to the end of your rope is, is a good thing. And listen to what Paul says next. With less of you, with, with, with less of you, there is more of God in his rule. So I admit that I'm powerless. I admit that I need help. And I ask for God's help. And, and one more thing, and this one is really hard for some of us. I humbly accept help from others. Friends, the way that God has designed us is we don't get well all by ourselves. And let me just be blunt again. You know that problem that you'd like to get rid of in your life, the temptation, that defect, the, that fault, that fear, that, that worry, that loneliness, the, whatever it is in your life that messes you up, you're never going to get rid of it all on your own. If you could, you would, but you can't, so you won't. You're only going to get well when you're honest with others, not just God, but with others. King Solomon says this, two are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. That's called recovery. But someone who falls alone, 
is in real trouble. God has wired us to need each other. 58 times, 58 times in the New Testament, it uses the phrase one another, love one another, care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, counsel one another. We are here to help each other out. That's why we have church. We are to help each other out. You were never meant to go through life as a lone ranger. You were never to make you were never meant to go through it all on your own. You were never meant to face your problems, your sins by yourselves. We need each other. We have a longing to belong to each other. We're here to help each other out. And you need somebody in your life who you can be totally or who can be totally brutally honest with you. And church is where you find that person. You get to know people on Sunday. You have people into your homes or backyard. You, you get into a small group. You serve on a team. You hang out at a guy's wing night or breakfast or a woman's Bible study. And you pray, God, I need a spiritual friend that I can be brutally honest with. And God will lead you to that person. Now, sometimes it might be a pastor or a counselor, but mostly it will be a trusted Christian friend. The Apostle James puts it like this. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The idea is having a trusted friend who you can reveal your feelings to. This is the beginning of your healing. Okay, let me just quickly sum up what I've been saying. The way to a healthy, flourishing life, the way to healing and wholeness, the, the way to become mentally strong is to start by admitting that you are broken, that you are powerless to overcome your brokenness on your own. In other words, you admit that you need help. And, and once you're able to humbly admit that you need help, you ask God for that help, and then you accept help and support from other people. Friends, Jesus came to give you grace. Grace is the power to change. You, you, you've got to ask Jesus to come into your life. You may be thinking, oh man, no, my problem isn't that bad. So here's my question. How bad does it have to get before you ask for help? What one guy said, the acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. Let me say that again. The acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. If you feel at the end of your rope, congratulations, now is the time for change. Join with me for a time in prayer. Father, not one of us here is perfect. We all have areas in our lives that are unhealthy and out of balance. Some of these areas are so painful that we can hardly stand to think about them. But Lord God, yeah, God, there are people here today who have struggled with, with shame and guilt and secrets and depression and low self-esteem. There are others here that are in a marriage that's stuck or it's cold, grown cold, and it's dying. There are many here struggling with a habit, a, a secret sin, a hurt, a fear of being out of control, or a fear that they're losing their mind, going crazy. Lord, give them the courage to take the first step to health and help right now. Now I invite you to pray this with me. Take my prayer and just make it your own prayer. Dear God, I, I want to take this first step to getting healthy again. I realize that I'm not God, but I've acted like I was. I have done things you've told me not to do, and I've not done things that you've told me to do, and I, I'm not going to run anymore. Today, I want to be poor in spirit. So I humbly admit that I need your help. I, I don't want to hide my hurts or sins anymore. I, I know I'm helpless to control my tendency to do the wrong things that are unhealthy for me.
I ask you to take the pieces of my unmanageable life and begin the process of healing. I'm asking for help. Even more than that, Lord, I'm asking that you give me the courage to accept help from others. I don't want to be just forgiven. I, I want to be healed. I, I, I want to get this behind me so that the rest of my life can truly flourish. Help me to go on this healing journey and change me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.